Well, good morning and welcome. We are uh, in our series, Abide, looking at John 14 this week. It's interesting that uh, that phrase, greater things, actually comes from John chapter 14, uh, verse 12. Um, it's not a, it's a verse we're actually going to read in a moment. I'm not going to unpick that particular verse. I'll, I'll leave that to the Greater Things conference to do. I'm sure that I couldn't do that any sort of justice. But again, just as that conference has been mentioned, that phrase has been mentioned, it is a, a promise of Jesus that we would do greater things than, than he has done. And that's, a, that's quite an astounding thing to think about for a moment. The miracles that Jesus did, uh, the teaching that he did, the promise that you know, we can be involved in, in that, uh, that we can be with him. So um, we are in, as I said, in this uh, series called Abide. We're looking at five uh, chapters uh, in, in John. And uh, this week we are looking at John 14. Uh, welcome to you all. If you're watching online, welcome to you too. If you're, if you're catching up uh, later on in the week, then again, you're very welcome. I trust that uh, this is going to be a blessing to you. Uh, Danny started us last week with uh, John chapter 13. Uh, we're moving on now. Um, it's, this, these passages are an amazing source of comfort for Christians. Uh, I'm not going to have a chance to read all of uh, John 14, but I would encourage you to read uh, the whole chapter, indeed read these whole uh, series of chapters in your quiet times, in your devotionals. Ask God to bless you as you do that. So let's turn to uh, the passage, uh, John 14, and we will... Yeah, we'll be on the side, please, guys. And we will uh, read this passage together. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also and you know the way to where I am going. I'll let you guys move it on if that's okay for me. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Just pray that you will bless it to us. Pray that you would encourage us through it. Pray that you would speak to us and guide us and lead us. Amen. The word abide doesn't actually appear in chapter 14. Uh, I don't know who's doing next week. Is it, is it you, Danny? Are you not up next week? Is it Steve? 
Steve, Steve, you've got the benefit because it appears seven times in chapter 15, uh, none in chapter 14. So we're doing a series called Abide, and the very word isn't in the chapter that I've been given to talk about. But we'll, we'll cope with that. Uh, but, uh, but Steve's got it five times next week. So I think that worked out as to how we divvied up uh, these, these, these passages. Um, but it all, but it, but it breathes and comes out of every chapter that we look at uh, in this passage. It all forms the, these these chapters from chapter thirteen through to chapter seventeen. They they form part of this one conversation between Jesus and his disciples in the upper room as they share the last supper together. It starts with him washing the disciples' feet, and it ends with them departing for the Garden of Gethsemane. John's gospel does differ from the other three Gospels uh, slightly. And it's a point that we should acknowledge and, and should address in that Matthew, Mark and Luke, they tend to concentrate on the Last Supper, the bread and the wine, the, the actual elements of the communion meal. Whereas John focuses on the actual teaching that Jesus brings at that meal without specifically mentioning the bread and the wine. But this is where we are in the narrative. We're in the upper room, uh, part almost of the beginning of the Easter story. Uh, the other Gospels also place the prayer of Jesus in John 17 in the garden itself. But John seems to present it here as one seamless narrative in the upper room. Uh, now, those differences, again, are slight. I think they simply reflect the different priorities and styles of the four very different gospel writers and the points that they were trying to emphasize. Because they're all actually addressing this fundamental question, how can I be close to Jesus when he is not physically present with us? How can I be close to Jesus when he is not physically present with us? And the word abide is key to this whole debate. Uh, it's important in these sections, even though it's not specifically mentioned. Verse 6, perhaps, is key to this passage. It is a verse that we'll come to again and again as, as I open up the, the, these verses, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a, that's a verse that will uh, resonate throughout what we do this morning. But let's start with the word abide what does it actually mean? It's an odd word in a way. It probably needs a little bit of explaining. It seems to me to be a very English word. Um, I don't know if, if, if you've got folks in your small group that are, that are with other sort of languages, other nationalities. It might be an interesting question to ask in your small group, group setting. What does actually the word abide mean in, a, mean in another language? How does that translate? What does it actually say? Because it's a word that we use in English, but, but I think it's a very sort of oldie-worldie kind of English uh, uh, um, view uh, or word. Uh, it brings to mind to me um, the, uh, the, the hymn. I remember singing this hymn many years ago, 19th century hymn uh, from the Scottish clergyman, Henry Francis Light, which talks of our need and our dependency on Christ. And every time I hear the word abide, this, this kind of hymn almost comes to mind. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, Lord, abide with me. Very powerful. So I think Steve probably is smiling because that's a good old salvation hymn, isn't it? I'm sure you would have sung that or your dad would have sung that in your, in your time. 
<laughs> that, that wasn't the answer I was looking for. <laughs> for those on the tape or listening to this, Steve just commented, yes, they're more of like the FA Cup than the Salvation Army, but hey-ho. Um, but anyway, that's what uh, comes to me when uh, I think of abide. It means to rest, to be at peace. Um, but interesting enough, if you Google the word today, you get slightly different meanings. You get things like, well, I don't agree with the decision, but I'll abide by it. Or uh, I can't abide that person. You know, that's how we tend to use the word today, which has a kind of a very negative sort of context. So it's important as, as we unpack John that we realise that this word abide, which is so important, means to rest and to be at peace and to feel comfortable, to feel safe. And that's what abide means. And I guess with that definition in mind, Certainly with regards to the beginning of chapter 14, we catch that there are some concerns. The very first word was, do not let your hearts be troubled. That's, that's Jesus speaking. Because suddenly abiding in Jesus is proving to be a little bit tricky. At the end of chapter 13, there had been this bombshell announcement by Jesus that he would soon no longer be with them. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Suddenly the miracle-working preacher, teacher who healed the blind, walked on water, raised Lazarus to life, has declared that he is leaving and they cannot follow. Suddenly abiding, staying close to Jesus and resting in him has been thrown into doubt. And as a result, the disciples ask three questions, three really good questions. And the answers are the verses and the passages in John chapter 14 that we actually know and love so well and stick on our fridges. You know, I'm in the, I, in the Father's house are many rooms. We, we know, we love that verse. I am the way, the truth and the life, that John 14, 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will do greater things. Those are verses that we know and love. What well, we need to realise this morning that they are coming in response to Jesus answering queries and questions and concerns from his disciples. It's a Q&A session because suddenly from the disciples' perspective, it's all gone horribly wrong and Jesus is leaving. You know, when you think about the, the great speeches in history, the great narratives, you, you can get those books, can't you? 101 great speeches throughout history. And there's uh, you know, Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream. Uh, there's, uh, there's Abraham Lincoln giving the Gettysburg Address, you know, four score and seven years ago. There, there's all those great narratives. And in there somewhere, I guess, even in this, this day, there will be some of the sermons of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, stands out as one of those great narratives, those great pieces of oratory. Um, Interestingly enough, John 14, I think, is an incredible piece of powerful speaking, powerful prose, powerful, powerful words. It's a Q&A session that's gone horribly wrong. These guys are confused and bemuddled, and somehow Jesus manages to steer this steady, calm course through it. I'm kind of thinking of the Deeper Truth sessions that I do with you guys, and we have Q&A sessions, and you kind of ask me some, uh, some kind of interesting questions, and I'll look at it, and I'm a bit puzzled by, well, you know, what does a person mean by that? How do I answer that question? And, and I can be really, I suppose, composed and confident when I'm doing the stuff, and then when we get to the Q&A, it's all a little bit sort of hairy. Um, 
I'm really putting John 14 in that context. Jesus is having this Q&A session with these disciples. And I'm just, regardless of what's in the chapter, I'm just amazed at how calm and confident he is and how he almost, because he's God, he almost addresses their questions before they're asked. Being disciples, they ask them anyway because they haven't heard what he said. But, but the answers almost come before the questions. So let us look at these three questions that are asked and the way Jesus so amazingly responds to them. How can we stay close to Jesus? Or how can I abide with Jesus? One of the more, uh, Thomas, one of the more practical or logical disciples, has spotted an apparent contradiction in what Jesus is saying. In John 13, uh, Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow. In John 14, verse 4, he says, and you will know the way to where I am going. And, and, and Thomas just has this pretty interesting question. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? We do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? You see, for each of us, how can I stay close to Jesus should be a key question that we're asking. How do I know where to go? How do I know which way to turn? With all the compelling voices around us offering contradictory advice, what's the right answer? And the answer from Jesus is both simple and profound. I am the way and the life and the truth. But I am the way. I am the way. If we're not sure which way to go, I am the way. The answer to all of our questions lies in Jesus. If we have doubts or uncertainties or challenges or even crisis in our lives that cause us to ask, where do I go? We need to remember to focus on Jesus. It, it seems obvious, even as I say it to you guys, I know it sounds obvious. But, but so often, how is leaning on Jesus, how often is abiding in Jesus the last thing we do? You know, when we have a crisis, how often do we, do we work it, try to work it out in our own strength? I'll, I'll try this. Uh, I'll try that. Oh, that hasn't worked. That hasn't worked. What should I do now? Oh, maybe I ought to pray. Maybe I now ought to turn to Jesus. When all else fails, we tend to turn to Jesus. Are we like that? Am I like that? I, I think if I'm honest, I'm probably like that a little bit more often than I'd like to admit. Abiding in Jesus, asking him to show me the way is probably not always the first thing I do. I, I'll, I'll find my own way. I guess Thomas is afraid of getting lost. He's afraid of not making it to the final destination of heaven. He's hoping perhaps, uh, uh, or, or he's fearing that he'll take a wrong turn. He's, he's hoping, I guess, that Jesus was going to be with them all the way, that Jesus was going to lead them and show them the way and guide them and literally lead them, holding their hands into heaven. And, and, and Thomas says, well, I, I don't know the way. I'm not sure I know the way to go. I wonder if that's a fear that any of us has. And there is this comforting phrase from Jesus, in my father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. I have a fear. Perhaps fear is a too strong a word. It's a concern. Um, whenever I travel, or whenever we travel, Valentina and I, and uh, we're staying overnight, and, and you, you turn up at the hotel lobby, and you say, uh, room please for Mr. and Mrs. Davis. And uh, they say, well, we've got no record of your booking. That, that happened to me once, actually many, many years ago when I was traveling with work. This was uh, uh, before internet and booking.com, and I know that makes me sound old, um, but you would phone up a hotel on the phone and you make a reservation and you get a, yeah, fine, we'll, we'll book you in. Uh, and I was actually traveling to Leeds for work and I rocked up at this hotel. I've never been to Leeds in my life. 
It was winter, it was dark. I rocked up at this hotel, said, yeah, run for Mr. Davis. I'm sorry, we've got no record of your booking. There's a fear that we might not find the right way. We might not end up in the right place. And that might not be you, that might just be me, but, but I think Thomas would identify with my concern that at the end of the day, will there be a place for me? Will I actually make it in my father's house and many rooms? Your final destination is assured. As Christians, we should have no doubt of our final destination because ultimately that's what this book is all about. If we were to ask, you know, why was the Bible written? It's written for all sorts of reasons, but it's written that we might know that we have eternal life. I write these things, says John in his letter, a bit later on in the Bible. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You might know that the way is sure. Now, the assurance that we have as Christians of our salvation is such an important bedrock for what we stand on. Uh, we were looking actually at this last week in Deeper Truths where we were talking about uh, assurance of salvation and just a, uh, an interesting thought for myself driving home afterwards. Uh, when I've got sort of two or maybe even sometimes three sort of words in preparation, um, uh, they tend to kind of bleed into each other. And I had all this stuff about assurance of salvation that uh, was in Deeper Truths and it's kind of made it into here. And there was stuff I was going to talk about here that kind of made it into Deeper Truths. But it's great because that assurance of our salvation is absolutely key to us as Christians. If anyone here says, well, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I'm not sure I know the way then we want to pray with you. We want to give you that assurance because that's what the gospel is all about. That's what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. Again, a story from my childhood. I, I never had much occasion as a child to travel by train. I would travel by train, but my parents would take us and they were great adventures when, when my mum and dad took us on the train. And then there came this point where I was probably in my early mid-teens where, where I had to make a train journey on my own. And suddenly it became very scary it became very scary. How do I find the right platform? How do I know to get on the right train and not end up in some crazy destination? Because I'd never done that before. And all the, all the peace and safety that I had holding on to my parents' hands was suddenly gone because I'm, I'm trying to do it in my own strength, on my own. I'm not sure I know the way. But see, Jesus is with us. He knows the way. He will guide us if we stay close to him, if we abide in him. And if we feel far from Jesus, then it is a simple prayer that says, Lord, guide me. Lord, lead me. Lord, help me to abide in you. The next question, it's not really a question, I guess. It's more of a statement from Philip uh, in verse chapter 8. Uh, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Show us the Father and it's enough for us. As, as I thought about this comment from Philip, I got a real sense of, of what we might today call damage limitation. Philip is, has switched into damage limitation. He's joined the dots, if you like. He's realised that Jesus is going and he means it. And uh, he's not quite sure what's going to come out of that. His mind is spinning and, he, and he's just thinking, well, what's the minimum that we need now to get by with? If Jesus isn't going to be with us physically anymore. Uh, how do I make this work? How do I get by? Well, well, show us the Father. Show us the Father. That'll be enough for me. I'll, I'll somehow cling on to that and somehow kind of get by. I wonder if, if we sometimes go into damage limitation mode. Uh, I, I just need this. I just need that uh, and I'll get by. That will be enough. 
Uh, maybe it's a guy thing. Maybe it's just a me thing. Um, but I think I find myself doing that quite a lot. Just, just, just what's the minimum to get by? Philip, Philip's actually asking quite a big question here, isn't he? Show us the Father. Show us God. That's a, that in one sense, that's a big question. But I trust you sense the almost like the desperation in his voice here. Oh, show us God and it'll be enough. We'll, we'll somehow kind of make it through. And uh, again, Jesus' answer is so helpful. I am the way and the truth and the life. This is how Jesus responds to this bit of the Q&A. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I, I said to you, I, I just think Jesus is just amazing. Just, I'm blown away by how amazing I think Jesus is in this narrative. In that he just keeps so calm and so collected in the midst of what is a Q&A. That, that was the kind of light bulb moment I had as I studied this passage. This is a Q&A. This is kind of guys not getting it. This is guys not getting it. And Jesus somehow manages to work this through. If I were Jesus, I'm sure at this point I would be so frustrated with Philip. Three years I've been with you. Three years you've been watching me and walking with me and hearing with me. And I've been telling you that I'm the father. And here we are three years later, I'm about to go and you still don't get it. I would be tearing my hair out. I would be climbing up the wall. I'd say, Philip, I think I need to trade you in for disciple Mark 2 because Mark 1 isn't working. But Jesus stays so calm and says, I am the truth. I am the truth. Look to me and you'll see. Jesus, God doesn't do minimums, does he? God doesn't do minimums. Look to me and you'll see. Well, I, happen to live, I think we live in such a sceptical generation that uh, uh, people these days say, well, I'll believe in God when he writes my name in the clouds or I'll believe in God when I hear his voice in my ear. I don't know if, if people's ever sort of said something to you like that or maybe even you yourself have thought that. You know, I'll believe in God when, when I see my name in the clouds. Well, we live in such a sceptical generation that I think if, if the clouds did spell out our name, we'd put it down to freak weather conditions. If we did hear a voice in our ear, we would be a, involve a trip to the, the ear specialist rather than a trip to the nearest church. You know, we live in such a sceptical generation that, that finding the truth, finding the truth is so hard. Finding the truth is so hard. You know, the internet these days, for all the power, for good that it brings, it does, in a sense, give an equal voice to every viewpoint, good, bad, or indifferent. You have to be very careful when you, uh, when you Google stuff, when you look at stuff. You know, there's, there's good, there's bad, there's stuff that's just wrong in there. And that's not to say the internet's wrong, but, but just every voice, every voice gets an equal hearing. How do we find the truth? How do we know the truth? How do we know what's wrong? You know, PowerPoint and uh, 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 Photoshop can put anywhere. Anywhere. I was reading a story the other day about someone who was uh, blagging their life on Facebook with you know photos of them in the Bahamas and a whole uh, uh, uber different lifestyle that they just built on Facebook by just using by using uh, PaintShop to map themselves onto other pictures and build a whole fake identity. And news, you know, we have that we have that term now, don't we? Fake news. What is actually true? You know, you, when you watch the news, is that news clip a genuine news clip or was that a news clip from something else five years ago? AI that can manipulate pictures and make anything look real. You know, as, as, a, as a people, I'm not even going to say as a generation, as a people living in this time, whatever generation we are, truth seems to be very fluid. I am the truth, says Jesus. 
If you've ever been uh, involved in studying or uh, uh, any form of kind of um, uh, academic work, you've probably been given a list of recommended books to read. You need to study this for your course. Just, just out of my own personal interest, I, I'm actually working through a video series at the moment uh, on astronomy. It's a subject that interests me. Uh, the title of the course is entitled An Introduction to Astronomy, Second Edition. I pity the poor people that are still working their way through the first edition. <laughs> you know, poor, poor guys. The, the second edition is out now. Why did we need a second edition? Well, we've discovered stuff that we didn't know when the first edition was written, and that's good. Or stuff that was in the first edition is wrong, and we've had to correct it, and that's not so good. And maybe in five years' time, there'll be a third edition, and I'll be thinking, well, what was the point of studying the second edition? Because the third edition is now out. We're still on version one of the Bible. You know, these truths don't change. Nobody revises this or says, oh, actually, that truth doesn't apply anymore. This one's relevant now. Yeah, yeah, we change the language. We have modern translations. But the truth in here, written 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, the truth written here is still the truth. How do we know the Father? How do we know what's true? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Question three. How will the world be saved? There's a good question. Uh, for the purpose of time, we didn't actually get past verse 12. Uh, but the third question comes in verse 22. Again, you might want to read that whole chapter yourself uh, and come to that, uh, uh, that question. Uh, this is a question from Judas, not, uh, not Judas Iscariot, who would ultimately betray Jesus, but, uh, um, but the other, uh, the other uh, Judas. Actually, that reminds me of something else. I'm, I'm going to go off track here because, uh, well, why not? Why not? I'm allowed to do that. Um, just reading this, this, this whole kind of passage, because this is the passage where you know, Jesus shares the, the bread and the wine, and uh, he's, he's saying to the disciples that, that one of you is going to betray me. Was this in 13, Danny, uh, when Jesus sort of, yeah, you were doing this last week, I think, wasn't it, where Jesus says, uh, one of you is going to betray me, and all the disciples are thinking, well, is it me, is it you? Ask him, who is it, sort of thing. And then Jesus says, this crazy, he says I'm gonna, whoever I offer the bread and the wine to first is the one that will betray me, Yeah? And then what does Jesus do? He kind of offers it to Judas. And I'm thinking, do these other guys not get this? Did, did they, they not see that? Were you not there for that? Uh, where, did you not catch that? And I'm thinking, why are they still confused? Why are they still saying, nudge, nudge, ask him, who's going to betray him? And I just, I just, I don't really know the answer to that. It's, that's the sort of question I would ask myself if I could ask myself questions. But I just get a sense that there is just this overwhelming sense of peace and serenity and calm as Jesus presents all this teaching, that even something like the announcement of Judas's betrayal is not going to rock the boat to the extent that this narrative comes to a halt. I'm not sure I've explained that very well, because, but, but I think maybe in small group we were just looking at the, the chapter again, and I thought, yeah, don't these guys get it? Jesus offered it to, to Judas. Alarm bells, red lights should be flashing. They didn't seem to be. Uh, but hey, Jesus is just calm. He's just controlling this whole situation. But anyway, that was a totally off track. So let's get back. How will the world be saved? Um, Judas is asking this question. I think it's a great question. He says, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because again, for Judas, the pennies drop. Jesus is going. Jesus is going. 
The one who's been teaching, the one who's been preaching, the one who's been bringing the crowds together is going. So, so how is it that you'll manifest yourself to the Lord if you're not here? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the life. I'm not quite sure what's going on in Judas's mind, but I would think it was something along the lines of, uh, I thought you were the coming Messiah. I thought you were the coming king, the one scripture had been talking about, the one that was going to bring the world back to God. But if you're going away, how, how is this going to work? Currently, you've got us 12 disciples. You've won us to your cause. We're on, we're on message with you. But uh, what about the rest? How does that work now if you're not here? I guess for us, the, the modern day equivalent is... How does the gospel spread? How does the world get saved? It's still a very, very pertinent question, especially for us in, in what seems to be a nation and a generation that has turned away from God, turned away significantly from God. It was a scary statistic a couple of weeks ago when uh, we were hearing about the Lighthouse Project. Was it 95% of children don't have any kind of contact with a church? And I think maybe that was the wrong answer. The right answer was even more, something like 96 or 97. 97%, high 90% of young children don't have any contact whatsoever with, with the church, with the gospel message, with the truth that we've been talking of. How is the world going to get saved? How is Crawley going to get saved? You see, back in the 18th and 19th century, there were great sendings of missionaries from this country. There was a great optimism with the gospel to spread the word. There was this feeling that if we just take the message and preach it, people will respond. And people did respond. But the sad truth now is that those very nations are sending missionaries back to this country because we're now the unreached nation. We're now the unreached nation where the truth of God is absent. Whether you're young, whether you're old, that most people around us, uh, Sunday does not involve going to church or even thinking about going to church or thinking about the truths of the gospel. There is a, I guess, for some Christians, there's a fascination with Revelation. We, we, I was about to say we love Revelation. I'm not sure I can say that, but Revelation has this kind of attraction to us because part of it is, well, actually, how does this all work out? How does this all come to fruition? We, we trust that Jesus is going to win, but kind of, we don't see it right here we are now. We, we live in an unsaved and unchurched nation. We know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but how do we join the dots? How does it work? How does it happen? It's a good question to ask. Uh, we like Revelation, I think, because somewhere within the imagery and the allegory and the prophecy is a picture of what will happen, how the problems of the world are finally resolved. And I just think the answer to Jesus, again, this is this, this Q&A. Just any questions? Yeah, how does the world get saved? How does the world get saved? We love that in a Q&A session. And Jesus is just, again, just so calm, just, just so collected, just so there. I am the life. I am the life. This is the way that people come to life and to truth, dwelling in me. You see, it's interesting, I guess, with our 21st century hats on, if we were to ask the question, uh, what are we going to do to save Crawley? I suppose an easy answer would be, well, let's have some more uh, uh, seeker-friendly services. Let's offer donuts and coffee at the beginning as we go. That's not a bad idea, actually. Do try that one. But, uh, but encourage, you know, make our, make our meetings more seeker-friendly. Uh, uh, let, let's let's you know, have a program to invite all our friends to church. Let's make sure that we've got one. These, these are all good things. These, these, you know, I'm not knocking these. We, we, we could say, hey, let's do an alpha course, which, which is absolutely a fantastic thing to do. That's our strategy. That's the way the world is going to get saved. And Alpha is doing great things. But, but interesting enough, isn't it interesting what Jesus says? Jesus doesn't say, 
when Jesus says, how will the world get saved? Jesus doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, run an alpha course, invite your people to the upper room. He says, abide in me. He says, live in me. He says, be in me. Having me in you is how the world will get saved. And that's our strategy. That is our strategy. If anybody loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I think that's a pretty astounding verse, especially in the context of Jesus saying, I'm not going to be here anymore. You might have even confused the disciples a little bit more with that one. But uh, uh, I will make... You see, see, abiding has now suddenly become... Well, abiding is now back on the table, if you like. Abiding is suddenly now possible again. Because actually, I'm going to come and live in you. I'm going to live in you. And that is the way the world gets saved. That's the way the world gets saved. By us having Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in us and reflecting that and speaking that out to the world and showing that to the world. So the world says, hey, you guys are actually different. What's that all about? That's our strategy. That's our method. That's the answer to the question, how does the world get saved? Suddenly the miracle working, healing, teaching Jesus, who seems to be going away, is now closer than ever, living here in our hearts. How does God reveal himself to the world? Quite simply through us, through a people that are abiding and resting in him. And just so I'm clear, we, we, we need good organisation. We need good strategies and planning meetings. They are absolutely vital. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, people are saved by God's people allowing his Holy Spirit to work through them. As I start to uh, kind of bring this into land, I'm just, uh, I just want to return to verse 4 again. Uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus just answers so much in this passage. How can we stay close to Jesus? Well, abide in me, I'm the way. Show us the Father, abide in me, I am the truth. How will the world be saved? Abide in me, I am the life. As I said at the beginning, this, that word abide brings back memories of that old hymn. Uh, abiding to me also means resting, uh, sitting in a comfy armchair by a roaring fire. That's, that's kind of what abiding brings to mind. And that's really nice and, and really peaceful. But actually, abiding in Jesus through John 14 suddenly takes on a whole much more meaning. It's the way the world is ultimately saved. I'd love to abide, just curl up in an armchair with a good book. But no, abiding in Jesus is saving the world. For us today, we will have all sorts of concerns, uh, challenges, even questions. I think it's so important that, again, as we've got a few minutes, as, as the guys want to come back and just lead us uh, with some, uh, some worship, <coughs> excuse me, that if you're feeling uncertain or unsure or life's a bit rocky at the moment and you just need some peace, and it's not a you just need some peace, these are big things. These are big things. We can pray with you. Again, it will be, I don't want to be specific. I don't want to limit God. Just There is an opportunity to hear from him, to receive from him, to rest in him, to abide in him. If you just want to get closer to God this morning and you need prayer to do that, just, just again, just ask somebody who's nearby to pray with you or you can come to the front. Danny, Steve, some of the guys here can pray with you. If you've got particular needs, particular concerns, we've got a few moments to do that now. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
Thanks, Ken. <laughs> <laughs>